All right, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter number 3. We'll be looking at uh, the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 3. Um, but as we've been working through Hebrews, we've seen that uh, we've seen Christ's superiority to the angels. And uh, the, much was made about the angels in Judaism. Uh, but this evening, we're going to consider how Christ is greater than Moses. And the law was highly revered by those in Judaism um, because of its being delivered by the angels to Moses. And there were those in the early church who the author is writing to, they were reverting back to Judaism, uh, keeping the law in order to be justified with God. They were falling back into a bondage to the law, thinking that it was up to them in order to earn God's love for them, even though they had uh, placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And so the author is making the case that Christ is better than all of these things. He's better than the angels. He's better than the law. And as we'll see tonight, he's, uh, he's writing that Christ is better than Moses. And if there was somebody who um, these uh, Old Testament uh, Jewish, or sorry, these Jewish believers uh, here at the early church and, uh, and the, Judea, uh, the, the Jewish people in general, if there was someone they looked up to, it was Moses. And many of them bragged about Moses and they thought that Moses, uh, he's the, the greatest uh, person ever. And many of them even they began to see the law as being synonymous with Moses. They, when they heard about the law, they thought of Moses. And when they thought of Moses, they thought about the law. And so uh, Moses had begun to be elevated to uh, the status of being equal with the law. And in some cases, the one who created the law. And of course, that uh, is not the case. We're going to see this evening that Christ is greater than Moses. Even Moses was subject to the law. Um, he is not the author of the law. He was the one who God gave the law to, to deliver to the nation of Israel. And so Christ is greater than Moses. Christ, not Moses, is the object of our worship. Christ, not Moses, is the initiator of our righteousness. And so it's Christ. He alone is the source of our hope. And this idea of the elevation of Moses and the law, it's a little foreign to us as Gentile Christians. We didn't grow up keeping the Old Testament law as uh, Gentile believers. Uh, but this is something that would have been more pertinent to Jewish believers who had come to faith in Christ. But as Gentile believers, there's still much that we can learn from this passage and the idea that Christ is greater than Moses. And so we're going to read the first six verses and then we'll pray and get into the message. But let's go ahead and look there. Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man. But he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, 
if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this night that you've given us and this opportunity we have to consider your word this evening and um, how you're greater, Lord, than Moses. You're greater than any person and anything in this world. Lord, I ask that you'd help us to consider you this evening and to consider what you've done for us and who we are in you. And Lord, I ask that you would just help us for a few moments to set aside any distracting thoughts we might have this evening and to focus on your word. And Lord, I ask that you'd help me to be emptied of self and to be filled with your spirit, Lord. And I pray that you'd speak through me, speak to hearts as only you can. And I just ask that you'd give me the wisdom and help that I need this evening. And I thank you for all that you do for us. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we see is that we ought to consider Jesus. We need to consider Jesus in our life. And as we live our life, it's very easy to stop considering Jesus in our day-to-day life. We get so busy going about our day-to-day life, and we get so concerned with what's going on in this world that oftentimes we stop considering Jesus in our daily life. We get busy with our job and what we have to accomplish at our workplace, and we forget to think about and consider Jesus. We get uh, concerned about what's going on in our family, and we stop thinking about Jesus. We get so worried about all the bills that we have to pay and all the debts we have to pay, and it can be tempting to forget to consider Jesus in those moments in our life. And the devil would love for us to spend more time considering all of the bills and all of the debts we have to pay to people around us than to forget the one who paid our greatest debt, our greatest bill that we can never pay, and that's our sin debt. And so we need to consider Jesus. And we see that in verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. The author addresses his audience here as a holy brethren. And what does it mean to be a part of the holy brethren? It means, and he explains here, that you are a partaker of the heavenly calling. That heavenly calling is our salvation. It's our new birth and new life that we have in Christ. And it's a heavenly calling because it's a calling that comes from God. It's uh, the Holy Spirit who draws men to Christ. It's God who does the calling, and men must answer. Men must respond in faith to the gospel. Those who hear the gospel and reject the gospel, they're not partakers of the heavenly calling. There must be a faith in Jesus Christ, in his gospel. And those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, they're made partakers of this heavenly calling. We'll see throughout the book of Hebrews this word and this idea and concept of something being called heavenly. Uh, As we go through this book, we'll hear about our heavenly calling, our heavenly gift, heavenly things, a heavenly place, a heavenly and a heavenly Jerusalem. And the purpose of describing something as heavenly is to make a contrast to things that are earthly. It's to show us that something heavenly is better than that which is earthly. And there are all sorts of callings that people have in their their life as we consider this idea of a heavenly calling. Our heavenly calling is our Christian life. It's our Christian walk. Well, there's all sorts of earthly callings that you and I have in our life. Some have a calling as a parent. Some have a calling as a grandparent. Some have a calling as a student. Some have a calling as a countryman fighting for their nation. 
Some have a country or a calling in their, whatever their career might be. That might be an earthly calling that you have, and those are all important callings, or you might say identities that we have in our life. As a parent, your calling is to be the best parent that you can be. Um, whatever job or career that you have, your calling is to be the best in that calling that you have. As a child, your calling is to be the best child you can be to, for your parents. But all of those callings, they pale in comparison to our heavenly calling. And so those are earthly callings, but we have a heavenly calling, our Christian life, our Christian identity. It's our identity as children of God that should undergird all of those earthly callings that we have. And so what does that mean? A parent isn't the best parent that they can be simply because they're a parent. A parent ought to be the best parent they can be because they're first and foremost a Christian who loves the Lord and they want to honor the Lord in their life. Uh, somebody who, uh, who is a grandparent. They're not the best grandparent they can be just because they're a grandparent. They try to be the best grandparent they can be because they love the Lord and they want to please the Lord in that relationship. Uh, those who are uh, linemen, those who um, are teachers, those who are fill in whatever the job is, whatever the career is, a farmer, um, uh, it can be anything. You, you are that, and you ought to be the best you can be in that field, but not simply because you are whatever it is, but because you are a Christian first. And that undergirds everything you do in your life. Our heavenly calling is superior to our earthly callings. Our heavenly calling as a Christian is our greatest calling in our life. You who are saved are a Christian first, and everything else is to be built up on that foundation. Our walk with the Lord and our service to Him is our supreme identity in this world. If we lost everything that we have, every earth, if we lost every earthly calling that we had, we lost our job, we lost our family like Job, we lost, uh, we lost everything we have, we could not lose our salvation because it's not up to us to keep it. Christ keeps it. And so we will never stop being Christians if you've been saved. And so that is the supreme calling that undergirds every calling you have. In life, we need, we need to remember that. We need to consider Jesus who has called us, his, his children, his brothers. So do we see how our new life in Christ ought to define every aspect of who we are? Our, our heavenly calling uh, ought to define everything we do in this life. If you are a partaker of that calling and you know Christ is your Savior and you profess him to be Lord, you need to consider Christ daily. Why? Uh, we see in verse 1, he is the apostle and high priest of our profession. Our profession is what we confess with our mouth. It's what we say. It's who we say we are. We, if we say we are Christians, we can say that because Christ is our apostle and high priest. An apostle is a messenger who's sent on a mission, who's sent on a task, and Christ was sent for the mission of saving, sinner, of saving sinners, of dying for the lost. We saw last week that he was sent to suffer death, to be made the propitiation for our sins, that we might be made believers. That was the mission that Christ was sent on as our apostle. Uh, it was his, his mission in this, uh, in this world. And Christ is also our high priest. The Jewish audience that the author is writing to would have understood what a high priest did. He made sacrifices for the people. Uh, once a year, the high priest was to go into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice for the nation of Israel. But before he did that, 
the high priest had to make a sacrifice for himself and cleanse himself, and then he could enter into the Holy of Holies. And even when he went into the Holy of Holies, he had to go in, take care of what he had to do, and get out of there. He couldn't waste time. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't spend unnecessary time in the Holy of Holies. There was, he went in for one purpose, and that was to make a sacrifice for the sins of all people. But the high priests in the Old Testament that we read about, they were imperfect high priests. They had to make a sacrifice for themselves, as we uh, mentioned. But Christ... As our high priest, he was perfect. He made a one-time sacrifice, and it was for all people, for Jews and Gentiles alike. And he only had to, he had to do it once, and he didn't have to make a sacrifice for himself before going in. He was a perfect sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice, and he is our high priest who are saved. And if you've been saved, he, is, uh, he, he mediates on our behalf. He brings our petitions to God. We pray to Him directly. We don't have to go into a booth and pray to some man who's our priest. We pray to Christ, our high priest, directly. We have direct access to God because of what Christ did. And so we need to consider that, that we have that access to God through Christ, our apostle and our high priest. Look at verse number two. Who, it's talking about Jesus, was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Jesus was faithful as our apostle. He's faithful to the end, faithful all the way to the cross, faithful to defeat death. He didn't stop. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. But Jesus was faithful to be our apostle, and he's faithful to be our high priest. Uh, when, when we sin as believers, uh, we don't lose our salvation. Why? Because Christ is faithful as our high priest, as our advocate, as uh, the sacrifice for our sins. He's faithful, and he does not fail us. And so we need to consider Jesus. He, uh, he has called us to him, to a relationship with him, to live for him. On our calling in this life, we have earthly callings, and those are important. But our most important calling we have in this life as Christians is our, our calling as a Christian, as a believer. So do you, do you consider Christ your apostle and high priest? Or do we allow ourselves to get so busy with what's going on in our life and what's happening in this world that we neglect to consider Jesus and everything he did for us? We need to be careful we don't get to that point. So consider Jesus. Number two, we see Moses, the shadow of Christ. Moses, the shadow of Christ. Look at verse 2. Who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Here we are introduced to the idea that Christ is greater than Moses. And we're pointed to how Moses was faithful, it says, in all his house. And when we read there, when it says his house, we need to understand the his is God's house. Moses was faithful being appointed over God's house, the a tabernacle in the wilderness. And we see that in this uh, in verse 5. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant. Moses was a servant, not to himself, but to God. And so Moses is being faithful in God's house as a servant. And he was faithful uh, to God's house. The Old Testament makes that clear in Numbers chapter 12, verses 5 through 8. The Bible says this, and the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. 
My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Uh, God spoke to Moses uh, directly and not uh, in dreams and visions like many of the other prophets in the Old Testament. And this makes Moses very unique in the Old Testament. Moses had a mission to lead the children of Israel and to be God's mouthpiece to the nation of Israel. And Moses was faithful in his calling to lead the children of Israel, just as Jesus is faithful to his calling as high priest and apostle over the church, over believers. But Moses was just a shadow of Christ to come. Moses was faithful, but Moses was not perfect. Uh, Moses sinned, and Moses was denied entry into the promised land because of his sin. And so Moses, is, he was faithful, but he's merely a shadow pointing us to the one who is truly faithful and fully faithful and perfectly faithful, and that's Jesus Christ. So Moses is a shadow who points us to Jesus Christ. And that's one way that Christ is greater than Moses. And so Moses, the shadow of Christ. Number three, we see Christ's superiority to Moses. Look at verses 3 and 4. For this man, Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. Christ is superior to Moses because Christ is the builder of the house, and Moses is just a servant or a steward in God's house. Of course, Moses helped to lead the building of the tabernacle, but it was Christ who made Moses. It was Christ who built him and formed him. Uh, and so Christ is greater than Moses because he is the builder of Moses. He's the creator of Moses. And so Jesus is greater uh, than Moses. Moses was the agent that carried out the law in Israel, but Christ is the lawgiver. Uh, it's his law that Moses mediated. Moses was merely a messenger, but Jesus is the one who gives the message to Moses. All that the Jews could think about was the law. They lived for the law. Their hope was in the law. Actually, their hope was in their ability to keep the law. Uh, but their, and their hope was in their works, the, these people who were trying to look back to the law. But Jesus is greater than Moses. And if they would heed the law, and if the law was important, and if the angels were important, or their message that they gave, how much more ought we to listen to Jesus Christ, the lawgiver, uh, the creator. And so the author is writing to saved Hebrews, again, who are slipping back into Judaism. And he's arguing for the supremacy of Christ and the blunder of reverting back to the law for hope. The law has a place, but the law is not our hope and our affection. The law points us to who our hope is, and that is Jesus Christ. So Moses is a representative. He's a picture of the law. But he was never intended as the end or the goal. Jesus is. He's the end of the law. Moses' ministry points us to Jesus. Jesus is the builder of the house that Mo Moses was appointed over. And so he, uh, Jesus is, is the builder of the house. Moses was a steward. But also we see in verse 5 and 6. Look there. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after, but Christ as a son over his own house, 
whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? Not only is Christ the builder and Moses the steward, but Christ is the son and Moses is the servant. Moses was a faithful servant of God in the tabernacle as a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after, our text says. In other words, Moses' faithfulness is a testimony that points us to Christ and his faithfulness. Christ is called a son where Moses is merely a servant. And the son is greater than a servant. And it says here that the house belongs to Christ, whereas Moses was merely a servant in God's house. So the case has been made that Christ is superior to Moses. And so how does this apply to us? What does this mean for us? We don't worship in the tabernacle. We don't worship in the temple like they did. What does it mean for us today as Gentile Christians? Look at verse 6. But Christ is a son over his own house. Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? Very simply, we are the house of Christ as the church who have been born again. And so just as Moses was faithful to the tabernacle in the wilderness, Jesus is faithful to love and to care and to build his church, to build believers. We are the house of Christ. It says here, this phrase, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. What does that mean? Does it mean we need to hold on to our salvation and that if we let go, we lose our salvation? No, this phrase here in verse 6 is pointing us back to verse number 1, where it talks about our profession. Our profession, again, that's our confession, what we say. And so if we profess to be saved... We are professing that our confidence and our hope is not in us, but we profess that our faith is in what Christ did for us. Our faith is not in our works. It's in the work that Christ did on the cross on our behalf. And we're professing with our mouth that we're trusting in him and what he did. And so we need to stay faithful to that profession. And the evidence that our profession is not just a profession, but we possess salvation, that we possess eternal life, the evidence of that is that we are faithful to Christ. The Bible has much to say about apostasy, and we're going to look at apostasy uh, the next week, uh, the, in the next message. It's not something we hear much about. But the Bible shows us those who once they say they believe in Christ, they profess to trust in the Lord, but one day they, they're against Christ, and they're, they're an enemy of Christ, and they're trying to turn people away from the gospel. It's a sad reality, and we're going to deal more with that next week, but the short of it is that apostasy is not losing our salvation. Apostasy is revealing that you never had salvation, that you never were born again, that your faith was perhaps in yourself or in something you did or something you said or the way you lived, but your faith was not in Christ. So salvation is not something we can lose. We either possess it or we don't. We either have it or we don't. And that's what the author of this letter is dealing with. Those who once professed Christ, but now they're professing faith in their own works. And they're trusting in their own works to save them. They show they didn't have the possession of Christ and the gospel. And so this evening, if we've been saved, if we profess Christ with our mouth, we, are, we need to stay faithful, not to earn our salvation, but as evidence that we have salvation and that the Spirit is working in our life as a believer. This evening, we need to realize we are the house of Christ who have been saved. 
The Holy Spirit dwells within you if you are a believer. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're not your own because you're bought with a price. It's a price that Jesus paid as our apostle and as our high priest. It's a price he paid because we never could pay it. We belong to the Lord. He's the maker of all things, including us. He is the cornerstone, the head of the church. Christ is our master. He's our Lord. And our life is to be lived in service to our Lord. And so the question is, what does your house look like? Jesus promised to build his church. And that, of course, is referring to the corporate body of believers. But how does Christ build his church? He builds his church by building the individuals who consist the church, who make up the church, who, uh, who are in the church. And so are you allowing Christ as your Lord to build you up in the faith, to transform you, to shape you into his image? In junior church, in junior church they have the memory verse uh, that we looked at this morning, Colossians 2, 6 through 7. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Well, we received him by faith. We receive salvation by faith in him. So just like we receive Christ by faith as our Savior, it says we need to walk in him. We need to live by that same faith, trusting in him daily. And it says in verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. It says rooted and built up in him. As we live for Christ, as we live for him by faith, faith, we're rooted in him, like a tree that is rooted in the ground. If a tree has no roots, uh, it won't take much to knock that tree over, but the roots give strength. And so our roots need to be in Christ, and our faith needs to be in him. And as we root ourselves in Christ, and who Christ is, and what Christ has done for us, and what Christ uh, has for us in our life, as we root ourselves in Christ, we will be built up in him. As a house is built on a foundation, and we will, we will grow and be sanctified as we root ourselves in Christ. And so we need to be living by faith. If we're not living by faith in Christ, we're not growing in faith in Christ. And so Christ is greater than Moses. He's our high priest, and he's our apostle. He had a mission that he accomplished on the cross, and he faithfully carried out that mission. And as our high priest, he mediates to God on our behalf. We can go to him. With our requests, we can go to him directly, and he hears our prayers, and he answers our prayers as our high priest. And so he is faithful in that. And we need to consider Jesus this evening. We need to consider the work that he did. We need to consider his love for us today and his faithfulness to us today. And we need to consider our heavenly calling, that our heavenly calling is greater than any earthly calling that we have, and we need to live as a Christian first and foremost and allow Christ as our Lord, to lead us in this life. As we live in that calling, as a believer, Christ builds us up. He strengthens us. But we must live by faith in Him. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank You for this.